Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you are warm and well. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We'll continue to look at the impact of this severe winter weather on our show today. The CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin, will be with us. What about uh, the condition of the uh, wheat crop in Kansas? How's it doing with this uh, severe weather? We'll find out. Also this week, we're getting ready for the USDA Outlook Forum, kind of an unofficial crop report, if you will. Markets almost look at it that way with their reaction to uh, projected acres and things like that. How does USDA put together their projections? We're going to talk with a former USDA Chief Economist Joe Glober, and he'll take us uh, behind the curtain, if you will, and how the uh, numbers are put together by USDA. And also, we'll be uh, looking at uh, the land and equipment auctions that are going on in that market. Weather's been cold, but those markets have been hot. We'll talk with the co-CEO of Big Iron Auctions, Mark Stock. will join us a little bit later on to see what's driving those uh, those prices, and that's coming up a little bit later on. But let's start it off by talking more about the weather. Now, I have to admit, here in central Illinois, the last few days, when the temperature was like minus 6 or whatever, uh, I was thinking, wow, that really cold. Then I got to think of my friends in Fargo, North Dakota. It's much colder than that, I'm sure, there. And in my friends in Albany, Minnesota, that's where we find Joe Gill, farm director for Chasm Radio. Joe uh, is the farm director there and also the vice president of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Joe, how cold has it been in central Minnesota these last few days? Well, you know, Mike, I like the winter. I don't mind cold weather, but it's been too cold for me. We have been uh, below zero for for morning lows every morning since uh, February 6th. Uh, We've been as cold as 19 below. Back on Valentine's Day, we were 22 below, and that's not factoring a wind chill. Wind chill's in the middle 30s uh, below zero. So, you know, I don't mind winter, but I think we're going to tap out uh, this week here. Now, when a Minnesotan tells me it is cold, then I know it's really cold. I know. There's a lot of concern. There's been no ice being sold for beer all around the area, so we need to warm up a little bit. What about, uh, as you talked with uh, producers in the area, how are they coping with it? I mean, they're, you're used to dealing with cold weather, but this is a really prolonged stretch here. Uh, any uh, uh, harm or damage being done that, that you've uh, heard about or any uh, what are they doing to, to, to deal with it you know as as far as infrastructure here we're, we're kind of built for this weather here in minnesota unlike other parts of the country who are seeing some of this uh, winter weather and extreme cold uh, what i have been hearing is if there is a silver lining we're, we're happy to get this weather here in mid-february and not december or january where we could have more on the way so uh, local forecasters are predicting we could be above freezing next week on Monday or Tuesday right now. So it, it was tough. It, it, it did take a toll on some cattle. No major issues except, you know, water freezing up in such in some areas. But, but overall, I think we're going to be uh, pretty lucky here as we, we can see the other side right now. We're talking with Joe Gill. He is a farm director at Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Yeah, we are 
thankfully seeing some moderation in these temperatures uh, very gradual as we go along here the next several days. Uh, a lot of it, the country has had rolling power outages, blackouts. Have you had any of that in Minnesota? You know, we haven't seen anything in my area here, right in the central part of the state, but there were some of those. I know I was notified yesterday and in southern Minnesota and southwestern parts of the state, they had a few instances where producers were out for uh, 25 minutes, uh, sometimes up to 40 minutes at a time. Um, so that was brief yesterday. I know it's not as bad as I've heard in other parts of the Midwest and in Nebraska and other states have, have seen it much more uh, uh, common in those areas. Um, as you uh, have talked with farmers in the area and, and you've been out and about, what, what, what is their feeling about where they're at as far as like looking ahead to spring? What, were you dry coming into this? How much snow do you have? How are they feeling about that? You know, Mike, it's, it's uh, I think, two different sides to it. I think a lot of people are excited to get back in the field, especially with higher prices when it comes to corn and beans. I think they're ready to take advantage as, as early as they can. But on our area, it's pretty unique here in central Minnesota. We haven't seen as much precipitation as the southern portion of the state. Uh, looking at some of my weather records dating back to October, October was the month where we saw the most snow. We saw six inches uh, here right along this I-94 corridor. But for the whole winter added total, we're, we're not even reaching 20 inches of snow. I mean, it's not uncommon to drive about. I look out my window and you can see uh, some of the weeds and some of the grass. I mean, obviously it's brown and rusty color, but you can see it all around the area here. It's, it's hard to find significant uh, snow coverage here in this area. So come springtime, we're wondering, you know, boy, are we going to be a little uh, short of moisture? Yeah, as opposed to several uh, years, the last few years, when we heard about big snowfalls and water, worrying about the, that melting and flooding and things like that, doesn't sound like that's going to be the case this year. Yeah, here in the new year, uh, January, we had just over three inches here at the radio station. So far in February, uh, we are seeing some flurries here on Wednesday morning. It would be just the fourth day we've seen anything from a trace to any flurries, but we have no measurable snow here so far to to uh, indicate here in February. So more cold than snow. Uh, but I'm sure the ice is good and thick uh, for those out ice fishing. You can drive any truck, you can drive any apartment-sized fish house on the lake. Mike, right now you are as safe as can be, and the fishing has been great, as many folks have said. So, I have done that before. One of my visits to your state uh, had some folks take me out on the lake, on a lake one time, and my first time doing it. And I wasn't completely sold that the ice was going to be strong enough, but they knew what they were doing, and I, I was fine. So, But uh, that should be should be no problem. It doesn't sound like this year. You, is there a lot going on? Have you been out there doing some ice fishing? You know, Mike, I like fish more than the next person, but I, I'm just not, I don't think I got ice or water legs built in my jeans, so I kind of stay away, but boy, it's been ever popular, and I know we have some local dealers we talk to every week who, who sells, you know, RVs and campers and fish houses, and they said it's hard to keep them in stock going back to last winter into this year, so uh, I think a lot of our folks are, are getting the chance to enjoy some of the Minnesota outdoors when it comes to ice fishing, and uh, it's been pretty popular, and as you look at I-94, I mean, you can't go 5, 10 minutes without seeing one kind of fly on by. 
All right, Joe, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Bundle up, stay warm. And, and again, when, you, when you're talking with folks in Minnesota, I always said you know it's cold when they zip the coat all the way up to the top. I know I was wearing a vest the other day on Valentine's Day at 16 below, so it was my fault if I was cold. So, <laughs> Joe, good to talk with you. Take care. You have a great day, Mike. All right, Joe Gill, our affiliate, KASM, Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Joe's the farm director there, also serving as vice president of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. We'll go from Minnesota to the state of Kansas. What about the the condition of the wheat crop in Kansas? We'll talk with the CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, with this push for EVs, could this bring about some kind of an alliance between the oil industry and the biofuels industry? Would you be in favor of something like that? What are your thoughts? We both make liquid fuels. EVs are going to cut into our market share. Why don't we join forces and fight off the EVs? But I think that's the wrong political calculation. I think EVs are going to increase no matter what. But their numbers are so minuscule, they're not going to take market share from us for years. If Biden and Congress are focused on policies to get to net zero emissions by 2050, we have more in common with EVs than we do with fossil fuels. We've got to be brave in this moment and resist the temptation to join forces with the refiners, build new political alliances that enable ethanol to, to grow in market share, even though overall fuel use will shrink. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away from the u.s environmental protection agency what do mick jagger barbara walters and star jones all have in common they've all suffered from something called heart valve disease heart valve disease affects 11 million americans and if left untreated can lead to death unfortunately less than one in four americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. 
Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's go to the state of Kansas. What impact is this winter storm, the severe conditions having on the wheat crop in Kansas? Justin Gilpin joins us, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Justin, staying warm? Hey, Mike, it's not easy to stay warm these days, that's for sure. Hope you're doing well. Yep, doing well. Let's... uh. When I ask about the condition of the wheat crop there in the state of Kansas, I guess it's to be determined, right? Well, you know, it certainly is. That uh, I think with a lot of uh, reason, there's concerns in the marketplace with the concerns about winter kill. We just had not seen this departure from normal temperatures in such a, I, I, in my in my memory, ever. Uh, we were 50, 50 degrees below normal temperatures that we would see this time of year. Uh, would think about the southern plains. Uh, we in Kansas, we had uh, uh, over the over Monday night, uh, we had parts of Kansas that reached uh, to negative twenty degrees, set multiple record lows uh, across the state. And so there's a, there's certainly a lot of concern, and it's winter kill. You know, last year you and I talked quite a bit about the freeze event that happened over Easter. Uh, we may be talking uh, about the 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 winter kill event on Valentine's Day of 2021 for, for quite a while. It, it may be a, a date that lives on for a while, Mike. Now, a lot of times when you get a blast of winter weather, uh, we you'll usually point to, well, we had a snow cover that gave us some protection. Did you have that this year? Well, we did, but it really varied. And that's, that's probably the biggest unknown. And while we're not going to really know until March when this crop goes to, goes to start to break dormancy and green up, to see what plants are alive. You know, it, I think most people anticipate there, there, there was some losses, but what the extent of that loss is, is what's still to be determined. When when you think about where that snow cover was, uh, south-central Kansas, the central part of the state, had a decent amount of snow cover, several inches. Uh, the snow was a very light, you know, not much moisture in that snow at all, though. Uh, Oklahoma had uh, quite a bit of snow. That's probably going to end up benefiting their crop more so, uh, but also protected it. It's that northwest Colorado, uh, Kansas uh, state line uh, where we only had just a dusting of snow and already dry conditions where I think that crop's probably going to be watched the closest to see, uh, see whether or not it, it's able to, to come, out of, uh, come out of it. Yeah, we've seen that in a lot of places. Uh, the snow has not been, uh, uh, doesn't have much moisture content to it. It's very light and fluffy, and it sounds like that's been the case in Kansas. Well, certainly, it certainly is, Mike. And you know, so the difference, like when you're hearing people talk about winter kill, uh, and in past years you hear the market talk about freeze events, just like that freeze event we saw last year, when we had adequate moisture that came and cool temperatures that allowed that crop to actually respond because it lost tillers, but it didn't kill the plant. So you had secondary tillers that were able to come back on and actually help help that crop kind of recover. The difference with winter kill and why it gets so much attention in the marketplace, not just in the U.S., but worldwide, why they watch the word, uh, word winter kill, 
is when that growth point that's still now boiled the soil, once that growth point actually is dead during a winter kill event, that plant can't recover. And that's probably what's most concerning about this. And that's what we're really going to watch for those wheat stands that weren't well established. They were already in those dry, dry soils, whether or not they're able to actually respond. What you'll have is a bunch of farmers that will go out um, as we start to break dormancy. They'll go and dig those plants up, bring them inside, put them under some uh, moisture and warmer conditions to see if that plant and that growth point is still alive before they start making some decisions. But it's still going to be wait and see mode and fingers crossed that we're going to uh, hopefully the damage is going to be limited. As we've seen so many times, wheat is a very hearty plant, and uh, you don't count it out easily or quickly, but it can only take so much. Well, you, you talk about it quite a bit, Mike, about how many lives the wheat, the wheat crop has, but here we are uh, midway through February. I, I just uh, It's disappointing that we've used up this many lives this early with this wheat crop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, uh, with wheat acres uh, somewhat up this year, that helps a little bit. Uh, but with a lot of decisions that farmers are going to be making in the Southern Plains is we have really good row crop prices right now. So if there is a lot of damage or even just minimal damage, it's going to be a big decision for farmers whether or not they go ahead and stick with that wheat crop or go ahead and make the decision to tear that wheat crop up because it might have some damage then go to uh, and try to chase some of these higher prices we're seeing with sorghum, corn, or soybeans. We're talking with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. I wanted to get into that, Justin, because last time we talked, you brought up some of those decisions that farmers in a state like Kansas will have to make when it comes to uh, what to plant. Uh, So now this uh, winter weather and the impact on the wheat crop, uh, that could influence those decisions, as you said, even more. Well, it certainly will. You know, we we had just before this uh, uh, cold weather event, we were reaching points in, in southwest Kansas and, and feedlot country where corn and wheat were actually near even money for cash prices. So you had feedlots that were making decisions that were going with beginning to in, uh, put wheat into their feed rations because corn basis was so strong in some of these countries. We were seeing wheat moving into the Texas panhandle into, into feedlots. And when you have prices like this where farmers can lock in not just for this crop year but for next crop year on some of these real crop prices – and if they're able to lock in some of their other input prices, because we're starting to see those, those skyrocket as well, uh, it, it's certainly attractive for producers, and it really could affect uh, what, what happens with our overall wheat acres and potential carryout pro- projections, which we're going to hear about later this week from the USDA World Outlet Forum. But we're going to see that probably going down, even, even with the current wheat acres we have planted. So a lot for farmers to take into consideration when making those decisions. Are you starting to moderate a little bit? Is your forecast looking better? That's the good news, Mike. I think the the worst of it is behind us uh, for sure. But it was certainly a historic event. But we're gonna we're still going into probably our fifteenth day now below twenty degree temperatures in Kansas and in some areas below uh, even even lower than that. But Hopefully by Friday we're forecasting that uh, we'll we'll start to get up close to that freezing mark to maybe start to melt some of the snow to see if we get some moisture out of it. But then by this weekend, hopefully we're starting to warm up a little bit. And, and uh, hopefully the, the these cold temperatures are behind us, and now we'll begin the, uh, the process of wait and see to see uh, how much damage really occurred with this crop. Yeah, I think that's the hope for a lot of us that uh, the winter... The extreme winter weather's behind us once we get through this, but 
as you said, just a year ago, we were talking about what happened around Easter time, so we know that there's still a ways to go. It certainly is, and for the hard red winter wheat crop, you know, April and May are so important about uh, the right type of getting good moisture, getting uh, avoiding those really high temperatures, allowing the crop to come on and finish out. That's going to be extremely important again this year with these bushels. You know, I think for the most part, it's that, like we mentioned, it's that uh, Colorado-Kansas border, that northwest Kansas is probably going to be the biggest concern. There's going to be pockets in that central corridor where wheat that went in behind soybeans that maybe wasn't well established. Uh, those are the areas that we're going to really watch to see about winter kill. Uh, but once things start to, to warm up uh, yeah, and see what, what, what's, uh, what the extent of that damage is, then when the crop that's taken off, it's going to be really important because we have been really dry. If you look at that drought monitor, still shows those areas to be uh, an extreme drought. It's going to be really important that we catch those April and May uh, rains. And so it's going to be uh, it's going to be not just wait and see about the winter kill, but it's going to be wait and see about uh, what type of rain we get to see if we can pull out an, an average harder winter wheat crop for this year. And I know throughout Kansas, like many other places, you've had those rolling power outages too. <laughs> that's that's certainly causing a, a lot of discussion, Mike, and in, uh, in in our area, uh, there's uh, certainly the when you think about those type of historic low temperatures, there's a lot of areas that weren't really uh, that uh, aren't aren't set up to to handle that. But a lot of discussion about what what does that mean with our infrastructure, whether or not uh, the shift that we've gone away from coal to wind power. You know, a lot of we've gotten a lot of wind farms in Kansas now that actually had to uh, weren't operating because of the ice on the turbine blades that. Uh, we saw, uh, you know, a, a shortage and that spike in demand and, and the inability to really store some of that energy uh, when we need to uh, on-demand uh, energy certainly has caused, you know, the national press has really been around Texas and the concerns that people have had down there uh, tragic, tragically. Uh, but in Kansas, we've been doing the rolling uh, rolling power outages that really affected some processing plants and some local communities and universities. Uh, but for the most part, uh, rural communities uh, have, have been able to, other than the cold weather, they've been able to uh, avoid uh, any major issues with the, with the power outages on, on farm country. All right, Justin, stay warm, and we'll check back in with you when farmers are able to get out there and, and, and get a better assessment of, uh, of the crop. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Always good to visit with you. Take care. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Well, as we get ready for this week's USDA Outlook Forum, we're going to go behind the curtain a little bit. How do they put together these numbers and projections? We'll talk with former USDA Chief Economist Joe Glauber next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. 
It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain futures on the Board of Trade are trading a bit mixed this morning. Thursday, we will see the start of the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, which will give us a first glimpse towards the USDA's thinking about the 2021-2022 marketing year. March corn is trading a fraction higher at 552 and a fraction. The May contract down a half cent at 549 and a fraction. March soybeans trading a penny higher at 1385 and three quarters. The May contract up a penny at 1386 and three quarters. For the wheat's Chicago wheat march down 14 and three quarters at 642 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat march down 12 and a half cent at 624 and three quarters. The May contract down 12 and three quarters at 630 and a half cent. Weather is the main focus of the market and the focus of farmers trying to get chores done. Sellers are anticipating higher prices, but that may not be the focus this week. Despite higher prices and adverse weather, demand remains strong and packers will want to process as many as they can to keep the pipeline full. In cash cattle country, it's looking like significant trade volume could possibly hold off until sometime Thursday and or Friday. Asking prices are around $116 to $117 in the south. Bids remain few and far between. Beef cutouts are expected to be higher with light to moderate box movement. April live cattle are trading 22 cents lower at 125.57. The June contract down 7 cents at 121.62. For feeder cattle, the March contract down 5 at 140.72. The April contract up 17 at 144.77. For lean hogs, the April contract up 15 at 86.32. The May contract up 12 at 88.40. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 17 points. The Nasdaq composite down 102 points. The S&P 500 down 13. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we're waiting for this week's USDA Outlook Forum as uh, we'll get a lot of their projections and uh, 
assessments of where we're at and what may be coming as far as Planet Acres and things like that. The markets will be watching closely. Let's talk with Joe Glober now. He's Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute and former USDA Chief Economist. Joe, thanks for joining us. Uh, this has kind of become like an unofficial crop report. Yeah, I know. And I have to tell you, Mike, this was probably, when I received the comments, this was uh, probably one of the best events I, I did every year. It was, uh, you're right, it's, it, it is a closely watched, um, you know, things, obviously, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty at this point in the year. Um, you know, we're doing it before you even get a in planning the intentions report, but uh, it's, it, it, it really is a chance for the analysts to really think over the course of the next year to see what the, the major movers in the market that they anticipate them to be and um, put all put the balance sheet together for the first time, really. And like most events these days, it's going to be a virtual outlook forum this year, um, which works, but it's not going to be quite the same. Having been to those outlook forums in the past, I mean, the people that would come to those and the the sharing of ideas, not only from the stage, but uh, the conversations uh, in the hallways and uh, in the audience among those that were in attendance, that, that was such a valuable time to get together and share and gather information. It'll be a little different this year. Yeah, I agree. And I tell you, as, as something as as you know, someone who opened that conference for seven or eight years, and actually. Did it a few times when when uh, when when Keith Collins was there as well. Uh, you know, there's nothing like it stepping out on that stage and looking at you know a thousand some odd people, and you know pretty much all of them. I mean, it yeah. is really a, a, a it's really nice in that regard. I think it's it's a it's a great feeling. Everyone, uh, as you say, the conversation in the hallways are really the real ticket, and that's you know it's just so valuable for people like me, you know, to go there and to, and to get that sort of uh, input from others. Yeah, I remember being on that stage myself uh, in a much lesser role than you had. But, yeah, it is, uh, it's is—it's quite a feeling when you look out at that that audience and who's in that audience. We're talking with Joe Glauber, um, past chief economist for USDA. Okay, Joe, take us behind the curtain. Uh, these numbers are going to be so much watched and discussed and analyzed uh, that are be coming out uh, this week. Uh, how are those put together? Yeah, it's it's a great question, Mike. Uh, and, and there's a lot of confusion because you know USDA at at the end of the year uh, in November prepares what's called the ten year baseline, and so and those numbers are normally put out. Uh, uh, now they actually put out those numbers in November, or December, at least the commodity balance sheets, and then put out the baseline itself in published form just prior to the forum. But actually, at, at the forum itself, when the chief economist speaks, those are up-to-date forecasts, and they will differ oftentimes significantly from what's in the baseline uh, because so much more information is known. You have the January reports, obviously, which are big, both in terms of stocks and also final production estimates. And, you know, a lot can change within two or three months uh, on South American production and other things. So... Yes. So in answer to your question, they're looking at what's going on, certainly in South America. They're looking at, at uh, you know, and, and currently, of course, you're, you're looking at things like China, what the sales have been to China, what the anticipation will be over the next uh, course of the next year. You look at things like ethanol production, um, 
you know, how rapidly will that get back to levels that we saw pre-COVID? I mean, there's a whole range of, of issues. Uh, look at the new export policies that Russia uh, is implementing. And, you know, each one of these commodities are going to be challenged. They get together, those commodity analysts get together, they discuss those things and, and put together their numbers. I think the challenge for the chief economist, for me, was you don't want to give away everything when you give your speech uh, because you do have the, the next day where you have the individual commodity analysts going through the, the balance sheets in a lot of detail. And I think what, what Seth Meyer will be doing, uh, the new chief economist, that is, is, is trying to give a, a, his broad you know, 50,000-foot view of what the economy uh, is doing, what it's looking like over the next year. And, of course, that includes planted area and some of the, the things that the press and, and, and the markets are really looking for. But the details, um, you know, will, will be given in a lot more detail in, in, uh, in those sessions on Friday. Seth Meyer, as the new chief economist at USDA, he has history with USDA, so uh, he's he's familiar with this process. Oh yeah, uh, look, I I hired Seth. Um, uh, Seth had been at FAPRI for many years, and then had been at the uh, Food and Agriculture Organization at the UN in Rome, uh, where he was working on commodity markets. I, I uh, knew Seth very well, and when I had an opening in my office, I hired him to come in and do policy work, and then promoted him to the world board. Um, just prior to my leaving uh, USDA. And then, of course, Seth left briefly to go back to FAPRI. Um, but when that opening came up, uh, when, when Rob Johansson uh, stepped down and um, uh, Seth came in, I'm, I was delighted to see that he was hired uh, back there. He's, he's made for the job. He loves, loves these markets. Anybody who knows Seth uh, knows how closely he follows the markets and everything. So he, he'll put on a good show tomorrow, I'm sure. Joe, let me ask you this uh, from someone who's been in that hot seat as chief economist at USDA. What are your th- how do you react to the, the criticism of USDA reports and questions about their accuracy and calls for changes and how they're done? Yeah, no, I know. It's a great question. I've followed this a lot. And, of course, we, we had a little bit of that when I was uh, chief economist, certainly, um, you, you remember at that time it was it was the stocks reports would come out and move the markets almost every time, and some of that was due to the fact just stocks were so low. Uh, but when you're looking at a market like corn and you're trying to you know and there's so much of that corn balance sheet we don't measure, so feed use and other things, um, uh, I think it's a real challenge. And and there's I, let me tell you there's nothing worse in one sense. You know, I hated walking out of a lockup knowing that those markets were going to go limit one way or the other. I mean, you don't like to see big surprises. I mean, sometimes you can't avoid them because those the numbers come in. And the World Board, of course, uh, they can't second-guess the NAS numbers. Uh, you know, those come in and they take them. Um, I think that, that – I think COVID has, has presented some problems, uh, I suspect, on the on the – gathering side and and then just the weather itself um is, is difficult but you hate to see you know big big revisions you hate to see big uh, uh market change or you know uh reports that come in and, and move markets limit up limit down that sort of thing um 
I, I know Mass takes it very, very seriously. I've been, you know, I think it's been good that they've been uh, far more transparent, at least in having these press reports after, or, you know, these opportunities to call and talk to people like Lance Honig and so they can give you a little more insight. But uh, those are, you know, you don't, this is, these reports have been the gold standard for so long. And so you just hope that that can, the quality and everything else can be maintained throughout this. I do think, however, this last year has been challenging, particularly because of of COVID and, and some of the way they've had to go out and collect data. Well, of course, the criticism usually comes if, if the markets react negatively and go down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But is there anything yeah. to, <laughs> I know you, I know you've heard this. I mean, many have said, oh, USDA, the government's manipulating the numbers again. They're, they're doing this on purpose. Uh, how do you react? How do you respond to that? Well, yeah, you know, I was once gave a speech uh, uh, out, out of the countryside somewhere, and they asked me if I'd sent those numbers to the White House first. And I, I thought, I said, well, first of all, what do, you think the, what do you think the president wants? Does he want corn prices to go up or is that going to make livestock producers angry you know i mean it's just Mm -hmm. you tell me which way the the bias would be uh in that case uh uh, but no they're they're not political at all i mean they they you know mass makes a big deal of the fact that the the politicals don't see any of the numbers obviously before they're they get them in the briefing right before they release the numbers to the rest of the world uh but I, again, I always laugh because, of course, there are two sides on each any price movement. There are people who are happy with it and people who are sad with it. And believe me, you hear from all the ones who are sad, and whether it's a up move or a down move. So uh, I had one time uh, tell a secretary of agriculture who was uh, gloating over the fact that, that uh, uh, grain prices and oilseed prices were so high. And I said, well, you, you got to remember, Mr. Secretary, there's a whole other segment of the uh, ag economy who's not as happy as you are about this. But, uh, um, yeah. yeah no, you're not going to make everybody happy. happy. Yeah, you're not going to make everyone happy. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Joe, thanks a lot. Gives us a little better insight into, uh, you know, what goes into putting together these uh, reports and numbers that we're going to get this week from USDA. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Good to talk with you. Yeah, good talking to you. Sorry we can't do this in the hallway. Yeah, hopefully uh, we'll, that'll be happening again soon, we hope. Thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah, you bet. You bet. See you, Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute and former USDA Chief Economist. Again this week, the uh, USDA Outlook Forum will be taking place, and we'll be talking a lot about uh, those numbers uh, as they come out. Coming up next, speaking of numbers, what's what's driving the land and equipment markets these days? We'll talk with the co-CEO of Big Iron Auctions next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. 
Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joins us. So what do these 2020 numbers tell us when you have a record in pork exports and even though down some in beef, still finishing strong in the year? During a pandemic, what does that tell us? Despite all that, people are still eating, and we're seeing that in the numbers. Now, it's by no means business as usual. There is massive disruptions and a lot of shifts that had to go on. Retail is booming. E-commerce platforms are booming. And I think that's one of the positives we can take into 2021. We can build on the momentum at retail, the momentum on these e-commerce platforms, 
And you know what's going to happen in 2021? Over the course of the year, we're going to see tourism start to come back. We're going to see food service start to come back as well. And we are actually forecasting new records to be set on beef and pork for 2021 as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Report the call at oig.ssa.gov. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the weather is cold, but farmland and equipment markets have been hot. Let's talk about that with Mark Stock, co-CEO of Big Iron Auctions. Mark, thanks for joining us. What's driving these markets? Well, right now, low interest rates, Mike, are driving these markets, and thank you very much for having me. And, uh, of course, high commodity prices are helping as well. We just sold a farm yesterday on an online auction that uh, sold for close to $1,000 higher and our projected range of value, and it was because uh, uh, cheap interest rates were allowing a, a lot of different people to bid on the property. And, of course, a lot of folks have been selling their corn and their beans for some five, six, and seven-year highs, and uh, if they got a little extra jingle in their pocket, they look for land or they look for machinery purchases to help update and grow their operations. Is there kind of some pent-up demand after several years of depressed commodity prices? Oh, I'm sure there is, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the markets have been just almost to the break-even levels. Your margins have been really tight, and now there's some opportunity even to forward contracts some new crop uh, product that uh, actually shows a little light at the end of the tunnel, and uh, that optimism is definitely helping uh, with increased awareness uh, and increased activity for machinery and land purchases. So a bit of a perfect storm with the low interest rates and the higher commodity prices right now. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of folks that are retiring, so we're seeing a lot of late model machinery hitting the market. And with the unavailability of some of the new stuff because of COVID and the way the manufacturers had to restructure their plants and slow down their production, uh, people are having... Uh, more interest in buying some of this low-hour and late-model equipment that's being sold. Remember, our baby boomers, our large population now, are in those retirement years, and they're making those decisions now to rent out their land. And when that happens, the tenant needs to upgrade or get additional uh, equipment to farm more additional acres, uh, and they see those opportunities to buy that good-quality farm machinery. Even if it's four and five and 600 miles away, it doesn't seem to be slowing down uh, prices based on location anymore. People put it on a truck, they'll freight and they'll transport it because availability is tight. Uh, supply and demand has definitely kicked in here when you want to buy a late model, low hour tractor or combine. Yeah, I was going to can we get even, let's break that down a little bit more. Any any uh, categories uh, hotter than others right now? High horsepower, low horsepower tractors, what are you seeing? Uh, low horsepower tractors, uh, 
uh, are definitely in high demand because we got a lot of the acreages. A lot of these baby boomers, folks that uh, are retiring from the big city, they're even moving out into the countries again and having a little acreage. And if they grew up on a farm, they want to have a little tractor. They want to have a loader. Uh, they want to have a post hole digger. They want to do some of those things I remember as a child. So those uh, 40, 50, and 60 horsepower tractors are just as popular as the 150 and 250 horsepower tractors are. So uh, there's a wide range of people that are looking for different sizes and shapes of machines. Right now, uh, because of our baby boomer population getting out of the market and actually getting into the market. Now let's go to land. Uh, even though we saw land prices in some places, and it, it depends on where you're at and where that land is located, obviously, uh, and who wants it, uh, that type of thing. But uh, even though we saw some softening of prices through these uh, downtimes in the ag economy, we didn't see a crash in land in land values. So now, what are you seeing, and and how much land is out there on the market right now? Well, that's a great point. We did see probably a 30% correction from the highs uh, probably a year and a half, two years ago. And uh, now uh, we're seeing the stability and an increase in uh, 10 to 15% from just a year-to-year -year date in land sales. Uh, we're seeing the still availability is pretty tight. A lot of people, uh, they don't trust the, the stock market, and they like owning land, and they know if they rent it out to a good tenant, that that tenant will uh, continue to uh, farm the ground and take good care of it. There's also the new buzzword out there called carbon credits that's got a lot of people interested in and how that can be an additional revenue income source for uh, landowners. Uh, so, uh, you know, land is going to be a good solid investment, in my opinion, here for the next couple, two, three years. Uh, low interest rates historically when you can lock uh, uh, 30-year low rate interest rates for levels that I haven't seen in my 35 years in, in uh, selling land, uh, that definitely opens up the doors for a lot more people. The government also increased the lending limits for these young farmer loans uh, to up to 600000 which helps a lot. So that has spiked some additional interest. The challenge is uh, what is available for sale. The, the real good uh, tracts of land, when they come up for sale, you see some massive competition uh, from people, and uh, those are the farms and, and, and ranch land opportunities that are top in the market right now. If anybody out there has even been considering selling some land, it is definitely a seller's market. Uh, get, it on the, get it on the market. You'll have five, six, and seven different people uh, interested in it within the first 24 to 48 hours. You mentioned the carbon markets and the growing interest and discussion about uh, those and where we're headed with that. Is that attracting outside money, outside of agriculture? Is, is it attracting that money into those uh, land purchases? It most definitely is. So I would uh, really uh, encourage uh, people who like to buy land, the farmers that uh, are adding land to their uh, portfolios, uh, you're probably bidding against somebody who has done extensive research on uh, what the carbon and how carbon credits work, uh, how they can sequester those carbons. Uh, do some research on that, folks, and uh, you'll see that uh, there's a lot of people looking at adding land to their portfolios just primarily for that additional revenue stream potential. All right, so even more competition for the uh, land that is available for sale out there. Uh, Mark, good to talk with you. We'll watch this closely and stay in touch. Thank you very much. Hey, no problem. Thank you very much, Mike. Take care. Mark Stock, co-CEO of Big Iron 
auctions. With that, we wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, a look at the impact of this uh, severe winter weather on ag transportation. Also this week, the National Ethanol Conference has been going on, the virtual National Ethanol Conference this year. We'll review what took place at that event this week and look ahead to the future of the biofuels industry. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay warm and safe, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.